We're so glad that you showed up today. Well, more than showed up. We're really excited to continue our series and to be able to focus on this amazing God that we have been worshiping and we've been focusing on. We started a journey a few weeks back looking at the God story found in the Bible. To help us stay focused and encourage participation, I'm using the book, The Story, where pastors Max Lucado and Randy Frazee have developed our curriculum and, and actually worked out our pace. Now, what I would like to say is this. I, I need to apologize. Um, this morning, as I was going over our notes um, I just think you need a little bit of a supplement today. We, we go very quickly, and so I've asked our ushers to walk through, and if you would like some additional notes, I think, again, just kind of look at our ushers. They will send those notes down. We don't want to be distracting, but realistically, I, I think today... If we can understand just a little bit how Moses connected with God, my guess is you're going to leave with wings. And so uh, in order to help you do that, that's what these notes are. And during a certain portion of my message, you will certainly know when I, when I hit that. Let me just kind of go over a, a quick review with you. You will recall that the God story began for us in a garden. God made a perfect environment where God interacted well with his creations. He made everything available to them. Well, almost everything. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And when they chose to disobey God, they birthed rebellion and the struggle began. God decides then to create a nation where he could live and interact in the midst of a broken world. God raises up Moses, who begins to lead Israel to another garden, Canaan, the promised land. A garden-like territory flowing with milk and honey. Perhaps not some of your favorite. But I guarantee back at this time, it was sweet. Canaan would be the place where God would reveal his presence, his power, and his plan for all people to return into this rich relationship with the Almighty. God desperately, he desperately wanted to experience life with Israel. And ultimately, a few thousand years later, with us. Yet, even in light of all the miracles, all the things that were going on with the Israelites and with God, the feeling wasn't mutual. We scratch our heads. The portion of Scripture today will help us understand how important it is to have a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God, not just a casual one. Moses had a very close relationship. Israel didn't. And we're going to find out once again, they missed out. So let's pray before we look at this continuing story 
found in Exodus 19 and 20, 24, 25, 32 through 34 and chapter 40. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we can just open up your word. In some ways, Lord, there isn't any way that we can cover all these chapters. So we ask you for wisdom and what to cut, what to stay on. We ask you, Lord, that we would get a clear picture of who you are and that we would be literally ignited to enter into a deeper relationship with you. That we would leave desiring you more than anything. We also pray, Father, for all those churches all in the area, all over this country, all over our world, that literally are coming before you, seeking your face, asking you to teach them, ignite them, encourage them, to comfort them. Lord, we know that you are a good, good Father. And we know you care a whole lot about each of us. So we pray even today, with all the different folks just pleading and asking that you would hear us and that we would respond so well to you today. We pray all these things in your son's amazing name. Amen. Amen. You know, we all know the difference between intimate and casual relationships, between besties and buds, between um, friends and acquaintances. And you all have different definitions for that. I get it. But, but my guess is you all know who that really special person is. Sometimes you're fortunate enough to even marry that special person. But the truth is, we can have a lot of besties. We won't always have, or, or we'll have a lot of acquaintances. We won't have a whole lot of besties in our life. It, it just won't. But my hope today is for every one of us to be able to leave motivated so that we might desire and, and want to have a little bit closer relationship with God. Now, we've been spending just a little bit of time on Moses, and so many of you know Moses, but Moses had a natural rhythm of spending alone time with God in what he would call the tent of meeting. Now, I'm going to start off in Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to start at verse 7. But what I would like you to understand is that this really is a key text for our passage today. But it also is a little bit of a random text. So many of us in our Western culture love chronology. We love when chapter 2 follows chapter 1. And we get it. But sometimes the Bible isn't written like that. And what I want to encourage you in this specific paragraph, because we're going to go through some of these in just a moment, This is just a side note. This is just, hey, for your information, Exodus 33, 7 to 11. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up somewhere distant from the camp. Remember, they were nomads at this moment. Everyone who wanted to make a request to the Lord would go to the tent of meeting. 
outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And he went into the tent. The pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. I want to be so clear this morning of the relationship that Moses had with God. He talked with God. I'm not sure, again, if we understand how really cool this is. Yes, there was a tent involved, and yes, he would go to a place, and yes, he would walk into a tent, and there would be something supernatural so that everybody knew that God was there. But he literally spoke with the Almighty in this tent. And as you saw in the very first line, it was his practice. It wasn't even once a week. It wasn't occasionally. It wasn't during any holidays. It was, oh, what I did. I need to hear. I need to chat. I need you, God. Well, in our plethora of chapters today, you're going to find out that Moses made five trips up the mountain of God. Call Mount Sinai. Two of those trips were 40-day excursions. Now again, it may not mean a whole lot to us, but as we go through this, I'm going to try to go through it chronologically. And here's where the notes will help you. Because if you read straight through, you are going to get just a little bit confused of where all these verses fit. So I think it's actually an exciting journey but I just want to make sure that you're understanding this journey, all right? Two months after leaving Egypt, they land in Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, all right? The very first visit, the very first time that Moses goes up on this mountain to communicate with God, to listen to God, happens in chapter 19, and I'm going to read... Um, Again, if you have your Bibles, you're going to probably need them especially. I don't have a lot of these on the screen, only because they're so long. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to even just encourage you to do this, mark them up. Then one of the first things I do every time I get a new Bible is actually go to Exodus chapter 19 and go through this. I want to make sure I know when the visits happen. I want to make sure that I understand this in the order that it happens. So this first visit, chapter 19, verse 3. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. God called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. 
You know how he carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure for among all the peoples in the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give the people of Israel. And that's exactly what Moses did. He comes down from the mountain. He gathers up all the elders of Israel. Remember, there's probably between one and three million Israelites camped right now. And so he gathers the elders, the ruling body. He shares with them, hey, this is what God talked to me about. And I need you to get the word out. We need to consecrate our people. God is literally going to show up, and we need to be pure. So I want you to go throughout all the camp and make sure, again, that sin is confessed, because when we stand before God, it's going to be a big deal. Now, if you jump down to verse 16 of chapter 19, this is when God shows up. All of Israel is camped around this mountain. Listen to how God's arrival is described. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed. And a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from the ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because God had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. Do you get the picture? This mountain is shaking. This mountain is smoking. This mountain is burning. There is lightning going on. Moses talks and God thunders answers back. Jump over to chapter 20, and again, this is in your notes. This is the same time, starting at verse 18. When the, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. We sometimes just read that and say, okay, well, they were a little scared. I am telling you, they have never seen anything like this before. They were petrified. Absolutely petrified. Verse 19, And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you so that you fear Him and will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the cloud. He went right into the cloud. Oh, really? From the very beginning, God scared the liver out of the Israelites. But Moses had a really different reaction. I want more. I am not afraid of this. 
This is so amazing. He had been meeting with God. He knew God. He was intimate with God. And there were a bunch of people that were kind of casual. God scared them. They stayed at a distance. Moses, whoa, closed the gap, went right into where God was. I think it's important that we understand this. Okay, this is how it all starts. Hey, Moses, we're really good. You talk to us, but you know this whole God thing when he thunders and you, you know, lightning and smoke, I don't want any of that. That's a little too scary for me, God. You just give me you. God can talk to you. Don't let him talk to me. Folks, we can judge the Israelites right now, but I am telling you, so many of us are right there right now. Hey, there's certain people that, you know, God's okay to talk to them. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me, God. All right? Then visit two happens starting at chapter 19, verse 20. Like I said, you're, you're going to, you know, stick with me here if you can, and uh, we'll, we'll keep moving. But right after verse 19 comes verse 20. And so, again, if you don't know this, it gets a little bit blurred, but in verse 20, the Lord came down on the, top, on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. This is visit number two. Go over to chapter 24, verses 1 and 3. This is the same incident as I shared. Then God, or the Lord, instructed Moses, Come up here to me. Bring along Aaron and Nabeb and Abihu and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. You can come closer, but, but from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people, repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, we'll do everything that God told me or told you, and we should do that. So after the second visit, no one knows how long he was up there. God gave him instructions. He took up some leadership. They didn't have the intimacy or the conversation that Moses did have. But what Moses does, he comes down, and from chapter 20 through chapter 23, he tells the people what God had instructed him. And part of telling the people what God had told them, well, is, includes the Ten Commandments. This happens after the second visit. He comes down, lets the people know exactly all the things that God had shared with him. Well, the scriptures tell us visit number three is this. Again, we don't know how long at this moment, but we get a hint on this one. In chapter 24, starting at verses 12 through 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain. Visit three. Stay here, and I will give you tablets of stone, which I have inscribed the instructions and commands, so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out. Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Verse 15, then Moses climbed up, and the Lord covered the place with a cloud. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai. Oh. 
Then Moses disappeared, verse 18, into the cloud, and he climbed higher into the mountain, and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Whoa. I don't know. We're going to see a few of these extended visits. For many of us, if we look at this, what would I do for 40 days and nights with God? And the internet? Cable? Like, come on. God, what are you going to say for 40 days? Like, am I just going to sit here and listen? You know what? I don't know. But I know this. Moses loved it. Moses saw God differently than everybody else. And this is what you're going to hear me say over and over and over again. When you see God clearly, 40 days is hardly even enough. So I'm not saying let's all go do that as soon as we walk out. But I think one of the things we're going to find out is that, you know what, I'm not drawn to God for 40 days. I'm just not. If that's the case, Maybe we just need to make some baby steps here. And this is what happens. Chapter 32 happens when Moses is up on the mountain for these 40 days. I am telling you in all of the scriptures, chapter 32 of Exodus is one of the saddest chapters ever recorded. I'm just going to read verse 1. Chapter 32, 1, and this is happening down in the camp while Moses is up on the mountain. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. Um, We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Now, granted, They're seeing a lot of smoke. They're seeing the mountain, you know, that's a little bit different. And my guess is, yeah, okay, maybe Moses isn't coming back. But really, 40 days earlier, plus a few weeks, they walked through the Red Sea. This was an amazing God. This had nothing to do with a golden calf. Nothing. But all of a sudden, a few weeks without their leader, without reminding, hey, you know what, we're kind of sitting around here. Why don't we, well, worship like all the Egyptians did? And you read this chapter, and we do not have time for this, okay? But you read this chapter, and you see how quickly they run from God. And even in our English translations, they keep it so clean. And they keep it so pure, trying not to offend. But these people were in gross, repulsive sin. And it's so interesting, especially the way God and Moses interact. They're up on the mountain. They're talking back and forth. Look at chapter 32, verse 7. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people... Whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they've turned away from the way I've commanded them to live. Verse 11, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Folks, I don't know how you translate that. 
There's a million probably different ways to say it. But Moses had enough guts and a relationship with God that said, God, time out. Surely you must be overreacting. I don't know if I've ever had the courage to say that to God. I thought it, but it just didn't come out. Moses did. It said, God, you must surely be overreacting. Turn away, in verse 12, from your fierce anger. Change your mind. Change your mind. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster. This is so cool. But what happens, then Moses starts going down. He meets Joshua, and Joshua says, hey, sounds like they're having a party down there. And Moses says, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think they're having a party, all right? Verse 19. Remember, Moses is the calm one. God is the one ticked, all right? He's trying to calm God down. But here's Moses now. Moses sees what happened. Verse 19. And when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, Moses, I thought we were supposed to be merciful and kind. Hey, Moses, I mean, you just gave this advice to God. Now you see how much these Israelites have fallen and have run. Whoa. There's a whole lot that goes on in this chapter. Moses' heart is broken. God is so discouraged that he even saved these people. Maybe we go a different route. Moses, maybe you're the new leader. And Moses goes, no, no. Let's move forward here. Let's work on this. Let's judge them in the way that they ought to be judged. And God and Moses together work out the details. But Moses knew this was a gross sin. Oh, the children of Israel really stepped over the line. And in chapter 32, starting at verse 30, a little short visit. This is visit number four, okay? Starting at verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a terrible sin, but I will go back up to the mountain. Perhaps I'll be able to obtain forgiveness for your sins. So verse 31, so the Moses returned to the Lord, returned to the Lord. Oh, in verse 34, now go lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you, Moses, and when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sin. God was angry. Okay, I want you to go. I want you to lead. The angels are going to lead you. Now, we may just gloss over that right now. But remember, it wasn't about angels before this. It was about God leading the children of Israel. And I want you to hear this. Look in chapter 33, verse 12. This is Moses' response. After he hears, go lead these people without me. Now, before I read it, I just want to put it in context. If most of us heard from God. You know what, Rick? You just go ahead. You really don't need me. 
I'll let the angel or someone else guide you. How about it? I might think about that. I mean, I can kind of be in charge. But you know what? That wasn't Moses' response at all. Moses' response was appalled to think about leaving, leading, and being on a journey without God. He was appalled. I can't do this, Moses says. Look at verse 12 of chapter 33. One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name. And I look favorably on you, Moses is saying. If it's true that you look favorably on me, God, let me know your ways. I want to understand you more fully. I want to continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation was your very own people. Then the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. You and I are okay. But this is the heart of a shepherd. Listen to what Moses says. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us. You underline your Bible, you circle things, do the us. If you don't do life with us. Don't make us leave this place. Don't make us go. I don't want to take even one step. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you look favorably on us, on me, on your people, if you don't go with us? And listen to this part. This is a yellow highlight, an underlying highlight. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other peoples. God, it's you and I together. It's our relationship that makes us different. And you want us to go somewhere without you? Ah. Then what happens? And, and we'll try to move a little faster here. But Moses goes on visit five. It's his second 40-day interaction with God. And this is in chapter 34, starting at verse 1. And I'm just going to read through some of this, but then the Lord told Moses, well, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I'll write on them with the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. So Moses did that. And he called Moses up in 40 more days of God. Moses loved it. He loved hanging out with God. I don't think it took God to write long on the tablets. Let's face it, he's pretty fast. So I'm sensing he just hung with God. Then here's so, it is so cool. Look what happens. All right. Moses then comes down after visit five, 40 days with the Almighty. Look at chapter 34, starting at verse 28. 
Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And all the time he ate no bread, drank no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that he had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Do you understand that when you spend 40 days with God, it shows? The people, it tells us in just a few verses, they were petrified. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if the guy's walking around and like the sun's on his face. They shield him. They, I, oh, what's wrong with you, Moses? I don't know, but I met with God. This is God. This is how it works. And we're going to come back to this. But you cannot help having God glow after spending time with God. You can't. You can't. This was quite the journey for Moses. In fact, if you contrast Israel's history and experience, they didn't want this God. Moses, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. I spend time with you daily. I want more. I'm up in the mountain. I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more of you, God. So in light of that... I'm going to teach you or share with you the sermon. Say, Rick, that was the longest introduction I have ever heard. Well, we're going to move quite fast, hopefully. Um, at least that's what I've been told. Um, but here it is. In light of all those things, God wanted the uh, same relationship with the Hebrews that he had with Moses. So God tells Moses that there are three things needed to be worked out in order for God to dwell among the Israelites. Moses was excited to be able to share with them, this is how it's going to work. You're going to get to understand who God is. I don't think the Israelites were so excited. The first thing God said was this, I insist that my people live by a set of guidelines. God saw how poorly mankind treated each other. So he gave them some guidelines so that people might live in community where everybody is treated with respect and dignity. Wouldn't that be a fun place to live? Wouldn't that? I mean, we hear about all the, well, not-so-rights that that our people have in our culture and our country. But wouldn't it be really cool to have a community where people really are respected and have dignity? Now, we know the guidelines as the Ten Commandments. As soon as I said that, some of you squirmed. You know why? We don't like rules. Most of us kind of feel like rules are... For other people. We're very mature. We know exactly how to treat people. Let me remind you how much you like rules. How fast do you drive? Don't you say, you know what, 55, that's for everybody else. For me, whoa, I am very, very good driver. 
I can do all these things. No problem. 75, 80, 85, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? When people have cat-like reflexes like me, speed limits should not be, you know. Okay. So, all I'm saying, we think rules are always for everybody else. We do. Many of us operate believing that rules and laws are for everyone else. Well, Israel did. Israel believed the laws were for others, and they suffered over and over for their lack of faith and choices. I don't think we really get the Ten Commandments, though. I, I don't. I don't think we understand it. But in this context, where Moses was so in love with God, so enamored with God, he just wanted the people to be able to experience this. This is one of the reasons the Ten Commandments were given. Many feel that God hurled them at us, hoping we would cross the line so he would punish us. In other words, God is some sadistic, cosmic killjoy. So why don't you have the Ten Commandments? It's so far from the truth. He knew his people would thrive under these rules. He did. The first four commandments apply to our vertical relationship with God, how we relate with God. All four of those first four commandments ask us to treat God with respect. We're to worship Him. We're not to create our own gods. We're not to misuse God's name. And as you've seen, as His name is His person, is to count Him as a casual God and honor God by observing a day of rest. This is all showing that you respect God. The next six apply to our horizontal relationships, how we treat each other. Basically, what God was saying, and I'm not even trying to make light of any of these, but he's saying, don't do anything that would harm others. Don't, okay? Don't respect your parents. That would hurt them. Don't murder. That's not a good thing. It harms others. Don't do adultery. Oh, the pain and the hurt that that brings. Don't steal, lie, covet. Those are all things that will hurt others. Jesus does summarize the Ten Commandments, and many of you know that, in, in Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 37, 38, and 39. Jesus was asked this, Teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based basically on these two commands. So, if the Jews would obey these commands, they would all get along. That was kind of nice, all right, if... But more importantly, if they obeyed these commands, God could dwell among his people. This was the second thing God told Moses. I need a place to dwell. I need somewhere to stay. In Exodus 25, and again, it's part of our reading, God said this, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. The Israelites built this tabernacle about a year after they were released from Egypt. 
And if you look at the tabernacle, so many of the things represent different, well, parts of our relationship with God. But if you just read it for the very first time, these plans seem a bit elaborate and excessive, especially for a desert, especially for walking through the desert, you know? I mean, really? All this gold, all this silver, how you, you know, um, braid or, or make cloth? Oh, my word. But God needed a place to stay that would reflect His power and majesty. They would know God was present because over this tabernacle there was a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Now, thirdly, and this one's a little harder to take, but God required a way to restore fellowship between a holy people and a sinful, between a holy God and a sinful people. God devised a way for His people to temporarily atone for their sin. You see, sin separates us. And if you've been part of our fellowship, you hear that. And because God desires a relationship with each one of us, He needs to bridge that gap so He can connect with us. Now in this portion of Scripture, you're going to see some sacrifices. Animal sacrifices. Sacrifices seem cruel and primitive, but its symbolism was humbling and meaningful. Let me just say it rather bluntly to you. An innocent lamb, never did anything wrong that I know of, received the punishment for a sinful and rebellious person so that person could live and enjoy God. You say, that's not fair, Rick. It's not fair. It isn't. But that's just the point. That's exactly the point. As we look back, this whole thing seems ritualistic and crude. But to a desert dweller, this picture was so very, very clear. In fact, let me fast forward for hundreds of years. We read in the book of Hebrews that these sacrifices were only temporary until the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, sacrificed His life in order to pay the debt of our sin and give us a chance for this garden relationship. Are you seeing this? In the text in Hebrews 9, there's quite a few different verses, and you can jot these down, but I'm going to read through this. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness back then. But now, once for all, he, Jesus, has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. For it is possible for the blood of bulls, it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. For by one offering, he forever made perfect all those who are being made holy. I use this verse 
last week. But it's a verse that just has been riveted in my mind in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He, Jesus, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And honestly, if we're honest, that's not fair. That's not fair. A man who is perfect, a man that never had a blemish, that's not fair. Why should he have to die? Why should he have to pay my debt? This isn't fair. And that's exactly right. It's not. It's not fair. But it was the way that God showed his love. Because for some reason, he cares a lot about you and me. And there would be no relationship without unfair Each time we meet, I try to give an upper story and a lower story. Something that we learn about God is what I call an upper story. And I just want to remind you of a few things before I close. You didn't think I could do it, but we did it. The upper story is this, is that God really desires a garden-like relationship with each one of you and with me. He wants intimacy. He wants it. Secondly, God loves us, so he sent Jesus. Wow. And lastly, God's rules are good rules. They are. There's not bad rules there. We cannot do life better than God. God knows what makes us tick and how a culture and a society should look. The lower story. What does all this mean to us? Well, God still is holy. But God's love makes a way. He sent Jesus. We are going to celebrate communion in just a little bit. It's going to be a time where we get to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It's not fair you had to die. What's fair is that I should have died and I should pay my own debt and I should be separated from you. Thank you, Jesus, for being unfair. Another thing I notice is you'll never regret spending time with God. I am honestly not saying do 40 days. I hope someday maybe. But you know what I'm wondering I think if we are not drawn to God, we're not seeing him that clearly. Maybe that's even a prayer that you have today. Lord, I want to spend time with you, and I'm just not drawn to it. I mean, actually, he knows you're not drawn to it. So you might as well start there. And then start spending some time. And that's what we're here for too, even our leaders. And and to encourage you on this journey and to help you. And and to help you understand that whole relationship. And then lastly, God's rules show us our need to be rescued. We see that all the way through the New Testament. If you actually do see the Ten Commandments and you realize how many times you've broken them. Even when you try you realize that the law shows us 
how separated we are from God. But what we need to understand is that we listen to God by grace. He gives us wings, not shackles. That is so hard for a teenager to understand. It's really hard for a teenager's parents to understand. Let me encourage you. At the end of your bulletin, there are discussion questions and text to read for next week. Again, we will never cover every one of these chapters, but if you, whether you take the book and you read through it that way or you just take the bulletin and read through this week, just ask God to open your eyes. He is so amazing as we get to just talk about His passion, His love, His mercy, and His grace, and that we get to be conduits for all all of that to people in our neighborhood. So I, I hope you keep talking about this. I hope you use the discussion questions. I hope you're reading. Let's pray. Father, once again, we just thank you for all the grace that you have given us. Lord, I, I think I responded when I really saw a lamb, an innocent lamb, almost felt worse for the lamb than, than you. And I know that's not really true, God, but I, why, why should a lamb atone for my sin? Why, why should that lamb lose its life? Because I've blown it. Oh, God, you love us and you are holy. And you've made it possible for us to have communion with you. We are so grateful. We are so overwhelmed. And we just want to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.